Sabu trying to cover Falk again. It's over. It's over. We have a new ECW Heavyweight Champion of the World. Wicked Pictures Adult-Oriented Superstar of Film and Motion Picture, ladies and gentlemen, the lovely Jenna Jameson. They were heading for the hospital. We've got a what? We've got a helicopter chasing the ambulance? Lance, is, is that you with a chopper? Joey, we are up here, high above Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where we are following the Sandman, who was savagely beaten here at the War Memorial at Hardcore Heaven 97. Now, he seems to be lost because he is not quite sure where he is. We're following him all over the place. He has no idea where he is. I wish I brought that extra pair of tidy whities with me. And, well, he was at the James L. Knight Center. And you and I both know that that is not where Hardcore Heaven 97 is going to be. And where it is this evening, we will keep you abreast, Joey, on where he is going. Hopefully he's going to find his way back to the War Memorial so we can get back at the people that did this to him. And we're going to keep you, we're going to keep everyone here a cue to what is going on. The man with the 25-inch arms and the 14-inch cup wrists, the true mastodon of professional wrestling, phallic and metallic, Big Dick Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to August of 1997 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Two other volumes for you this month, split over three different parts. Volume 1 is the WWF taking us to SummerSlam. Volume 2, Part 1, takes us to WCW, looking at Road Wild. And Volume 2, Part 2, takes us to WCW, looking at their latest Clash of the Champions. We're in Volume number 3, discuss ECW and their hardcore heaven pay-per-view. I'm being joined by Chris Lacey. Chris, good afternoon. Afternoon, Bob. It's it's an unusual early start for us. Uh, it depends how you define early. I mean, I know Dell kind of chewed me out last month or the month before for a 10am Sunday start. Um, but yes, we are uh, taking advantage of the bank holiday here in the UK and we are uh, doing this middle of the afternoon. It's just me and Chris today. We've got some headlines to run you through. Uh, Chris, we start off with two ECW heavyweight title changes. Yeah, so this month has seen Shane Douglas and Sabu both be the world heavyweight champion. Uh, Sabu beat Funk in a barbed wire rope match in Philly the week before the pay-per-view. And then at Hardcore Heaven, Shane beat Sabu and Funk in a freeway dance. Records broken again. So, on the August 2nd show in Monica, PA, uh, ECW drew an attendance of... 2,200, which was a paid attendance grossing them $44,000 in the Golden Dome. 
obviously the venue we've seen before that looks strange and bubbled on the inside. Paul Heyman announced to the crowd that, that thanks to the support that they had had, that the arena would be used as the site for ECW's next pay-per-view, November to Remember. And that they won't use the igloo because it's not too pretty for ECW. What well, is too pretty, I think. Um, stars at Hardcore Heaven. So, we have had a crossover of mainstream stars turn up. Well, I say mainstream in the loosest possible way. Rap group, the Insane Clown Posse, and hardcore porn queen Jenna Jameson were guests at the pay-per-view. The ICP, the Insane Clown Posse, were in the ring in a confrontation before the show started with RVD and Sabu, and Jenna joined the Dudleys at ringside. Pay-per-view numbers down from barely legal, but still a decent number attendance in attendance in Fort Lauderdale. So, with very early estimates indicate the pay-per-view did a 0.2 to 0.23 buy rate, which is about 35,000 buys. Um, this is estimated to be down 13 to 20% below the first show. But, however, not to be scoffed at, there was a decent profit made at those in attendance, with it being around 90,000 brought in in venue tickets. For a second show, it held up far better than the Pancreas show, the EFC, or the UFFI, but didn't grow as much as the first US to second UFC shows, which actually went from 8,000 to 100,000, which obviously is seen as the main comparison. According to the War Memorial Auditorium in Fort Lauderdale, uh, the seats, they sold 1,800 seats at a ticket price between $10 or $10 and $100. And the sellout garnered between fifty and sixty thousand. The rest probably being merchandise sales and other things. Uh, on to other news. Sandman does himself in. So Sandman, probably in a drunk stupor, but this is not definitely known, has done himself an injury while lifting something at home, and he threw his back out. He had to lie on his floor for hours and couldn't move while waiting for the pain to subside. He could barely move the next day and was still limping at the weekend's house shows. Yeah, and, and that basically is the, the the hidden part of the why Sabu ended up in the ECW title picture was it was going to be Sabu and Sandman. Sandman got injured, so they shunted Sabu into the main event, and that was their way of getting to it was having Sabu defeat Funk for the title. Um. Chris, Rick Rude's been busy. Yeah, so apparently the entire Rick Rude being on Raw scenario didn't play out until at least 24 to 40 hours before Raw. Rude and everybody else in ECW didn't find out until the day of Raw, and even though many wrestlers didn't find out that Rude was on Raw until it actually happened on, sh on the show, there's apparently no major heat about the situation. Even Douglas is said to be okay with it, even though from a storyline standpoint, it doesn't make any sense on ECW TV that two days earlier he's repping Shawn Michaels and standing in the room, ripping on Shawn Michaels and standing in the room next to Rude. There's some concern within ECW that the WF will try and sign Rude to a full-time contract, although right at this moment, the Rude-Michaels alliance is being presented initially as a short-term concept. Rude obviously isn't actually under any sort of contract to ECW, even though he did say that he signed a two-year deal last month, this was just storyline. 
Yeah, the, the Rude Michaels thing didn't even really last until the end of the month. Uh, they've kind of pivoted Michaels into a partnership with Hunter Helmsley in China, and Rude's kind of there, and his his kind of unofficial role in the WWF now is more just a gun for hire, um, but lots of things going on there. And speaking of ECW's relationship with the big two, uh, the WCW Raven saga is still ongoing. So, in a neat twist by ECW, it's belief that Paul Heyman is saying that he owns the right to the Raven character and likeness now because it's the only way that ECW, that for WCW to prove that ECW doesn't own the rights is to prove a contract signed by Raven. WCW and Raven say that they don't have a copy of said contract, which was con- convinced that when they were trying to say that the proof of Raven character couldn't appear on the WCW pay-per-view. They may need to find a copy of this contract to prove that Raven has the rights to his likeness and the gimmick. Speaking of WCW, for uh, for all the talk and for all the stuff surrounding Steve Richards a couple of months ago, uh, Richards wrestled the full match at the uh, the Clash last week. Um, so rumours of uh, of his demise, rumours of his potentially being out of the ring for the rest of the year, seemingly might have been bullshit. Um, as he, he he did wrestle at the uh, at the clash, but there we go. Obviously, we have some weird time machines, so their their year is shorter than an ECW year. Well, I, I get the feeling that. Well, I mean, there is also the, the slightly less conspiratorial thought that perhaps Richards's injuries were too severe for a you know thousand dollars a night shop when WCW came calling with a much more guaranteed contract all of a sudden those injuries kind of went away I don't know um, but there are suspicions let's say that they say when you look into a man's eyes you look directly into his soul Terry Funk 3 and one half years ago, you and I, and that piece of crap Sabu, we set the trail before us that ECW would follow. It was called the night the line was crossed, and I carried your ass for 60 minutes. I carried Sabu's ass for 60 minutes. You both walked to the dressing room. You were both carried to the back to take your break and hope to come out and defeat the franchise. But you could not do it, Terry Funk. You couldn't do it then. And you certainly will not do it on August 17th. Terry Funk, that night when I stood and looked you face to face, at that now famous press conference, I could see it in your eyes, Terry Funk. I could see your soul slipping away. Because you could sense that the sands of time were now running out. That that hourglass was running very damn short. The pages of your great legacy, of your legend, have been blown to the past. They're shutting the cover of that book, Terry Funk, and are opening the book that they call Franchise. And the legend that I begin to write, Terry Funk, starts on August 17th at the second pay-per-view for this great organization that I built and the people behind me have supported and kept running and made now the best organization in the world today. August 17th, Terry Funk, it's my belt. It's my belt. And on August 17th, Terry Funk, I promise you, they'll walk out of the arena calling me champion. And you retired because it's my belt. My belt. My belt. 
I just a reminder before we go into the TVs itself that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you for our contributions to your podcasting lives, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20RS links in the podcast description and on our website. Chris, we've got two weeks of television to go before the pay-per-view. Only really one thing of note to discuss on that before we get there. So uh, take us through it. So on the week one TV, uh, we opened the show with Rick Rude doing a promo where he did, where did you do it? Sam, or why did you do it even? Uh, Sam Mand offered him a beer and a fag and Tommy nothing and not even Bueller. But Shane offered Francine. Shane then carried Sabu and Funk for 60 minutes. Who knew Funk's time was dumb and Shane's legacy was about to be built? We then get some in-ring action between Mikey Whitbrook and RVD. At the beginning of the match, Sabu jumps Mikey RVD then hits a leg drop. Mikey gets a Tornado DDT and Hurricane Rana. Sabu hits a plant shirt to the outside, but RVD then takes over. He hits the five-star frog splash. Mikey goes to the top rope for a leaf King Hurricane Rana. Sabu in to hit Air Sabu. The Rolling Thunder leg drop combo, and for the win. After this, Rude is out again with You Suck Dick Chance and Fuck Him Up Styles Fuck Him Up. Brought it towards Joey. He introduces Shane, who gets a massive pop. We should just say by this, we are in Shane's hometown, and he is massively the face here. Rude takes Francine for a good seeing too. They call him franchise for a reason, as he's head and shoulders above everyone else, and is the captain in charge of the triple threat. Sabu and RBD come out. Bonsi calls RVD and Sabu the greatest team in wrestling. RVD calls him the best weekend warrior. And Funk comes out. He doesn't have to swear anymore or brawl everyone. And the locker room empties to a full brawl. We then get the one moment that Dell would be here for. We get Jason's moment of him working out. Asking, how do you like his pump? We get some promos for the upcoming house show. Uh, the Dudleys, Gertner says that the gangsters for winning the belts would have been the best day of their lives, but says there's a stipulation in the contracts that they must be a title match at the pay-per-view, and the gangsters won't be at the pay-per-view, so the Dudleys will defend the belts. Bubba tells the gangsters to come get their belts. We then see Spike in the ring, and we hear Taz's music, but out comes someone who doesn't look like Taz at all. It's actually Chris Candido dressed as Taz. He beats down Spike until Spike takes it to the outside. Chris is back in the ring with an Alabama slam, a suplex, a high-angle German, up to the top for the blonde bombshell for the win. We then get a Taz promo at the dojo, saying very good Candido for playing your mind games, but Taz doesn't get mad. He'll let Chris get mad and then choke him out. We then go to week two, where we get highlights of the title change of the barbed wire title, barbed wire rope match between Funk and Sabu. We open to see Funk wrapped in barbed wire on top of the table. Sabu then wraps barbed wire around himself, jumps out for a leg drop. Is there anything this man will not do? Sabu then back in the ring gets the win and is your new champ. We then see 
action between Bam Bam Bigelow and Spike Dudley. Spike grabs the leg, but Bam Bam clubs him and goes for a massive beal. And when I say massive beal, he launches him pretty much the full way across the ring. He then press slams him, or clubs in a suplex, and they go to the outside. Spike gets a post and back in with another massive toss across the ring, a corner suplex, and a moonsault. Spike gets a couple of forearms and a drop kick and gets a one count. Hits a pair of running forearms for a two count and then goes for the acid raindrop, but Bam Bam turns it into a backdrop. Spike then headbutts Bam Bam in the balls and uses a victory roll for the win. Spike has just beaten Bam Bam Bigelow. You then go backstage to see Sabu getting stitched up. We get highlights from last week's match between Funk and Shane, showing Shane giving Funk two belly to belly, four belly to bellies, and then Sabu coming out, taking out Shane, and then hitting a belly to belly onto the chair with a top rope leg drop so Funk can win. We then get some build up for the pay per view. Highlights of the Tommy Raven and Jerry the King Lawler feud that we've seen over the past few weeks. And then we get a promo from the King saying that he is ECW exposing crappy wrestlers. And says he will see that Tommy is going to heaven and he's going to end it. We get a replay of the Taz promo from last week. We then see Taz saying he doesn't need barbed wires, chairs or to break a table to be a violent. He'll just use his hands and he'll choke him out. We then get potted highlights from the Dudleys versus Balls and Axel. Big Dick is seen tripping and grabbing the ropes, so Balls and Axels go and get the Shah. This turns into a six-way brawl. There's a triple whip with all the faces until they get the beat on Big Dick. We see Balls hitting a top rope leg drop on Devon for a two-count. Axel smashing a chair so hard that it breaks on Bubba's head. Bubba smashing a chair on Big Dick. And then the Dudleys 3Ding the Shah for the win. We close the show with a promo from Tommy Dreamer saying that he's been here since day one. This is home and he will make the king bleed and feel his pain. Only one place to to well to start really to to discuss I think and that's the you know we only really saw about three or four minutes of it at the end it was a very long match between uh, Funk and Sabu uh, barbed wire match essentially as they set up because Sandman's injury and they had nowhere really to put Sabu on the card um, so they they had this barbed wire rope match and also it took them a long time to to get the whole thing set up. Um, and then, yeah, had by what all accounts was one of the most violent matches ECW have ever had. Um, not that we saw most of it on television. And I say violent in the sense that it was just Sabu being Sabu. I mean, apparently at one point the referee was blading Sabu's back just to accentuate the cuts, which just seems a little bit excessive. Yeah. Um, and then you also hear stories that after the show, that well, during the match, Sabu was taping himself up to try and stop the bleeding. After the match, he was super gluing cuts on his arms and on his back which apparently isn't the worst advice but also isn't that you know apparently super glue is a method of stopping cuts um but still sounds dodgy as fuck um and then also the fact that sabu put fox to the table 
And it, before he did that, he wrapped himself in barbed wire, and Funk was covered in a bit as well. And they had about four or five minutes left of the match still to go. Um, but in the end, the slightly weird finish of Funk just being rolled back into the ring and then Sabu pinning him was that Sabu, they were stuck together. And so they were just like, well, screw it. Like, if we're stuck together. We might as well just go for the finish now. So that match got cut off three or four minutes before the end. And Chris, just a reminder of just how crazy Sabu and Funk both are and just how ridiculous ECW is. Yeah, um, obviously we don't see much of it, and I'd be surprised if we ever see the full thing on normal TV. But, as you were saying, rumour or stories coming out of there being sort of that much of a rips in Sabu's arms, and maybe even sort of down to the muscle where he's just grabbing some tape so he can stick himself back together mid-match, pretty much says why using real barbed wire may not be the most sensible of an idea in a wrestling match. Um, obviously, what we do see is the end. and the, the leg drop where he's wrapped himself around an already wrapped up Terry Funk and it's sticking in his legs. His trousers are completely torn apart. You've got Fonzie there with wire cutters trying to at least separate him enough that Funk can move his head because the hair is all wrapped up in barbed wire and attached to each other. It, it, if you had that snapshot, you could put that on a t-shirt and go, this is extreme. And it would definitely sum up where ECW can go at its most extreme. But you don't really need to see this every so often. No, you're right about that. Um, but yeah, an interesting little switch. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind it. I, you know, I haven't been on the ECW show since May, but I don't think that that Funk's run of champion has been all that excellent, and probably not helped by the fact that his his natural opponent Steve Richards, as we kind of said earlier, just kind of buggered off. Um, it left them with quite a big void. Um, also, just to say, um, you know, just to, to cover one thing that was said in July, it didn't get picked up on particularly explicitly on on last month's show was. That promo Douglas cut, where he was like, yeah, I used to be TV champion, but ah, uh, fuck it, you know, it's it's gold-plated copper. It's like, well, Shane, I know you want to move back to the ECW title, but you don't have to bury the fucking thing you just held for the last year. Anyway, that's that. Um, it's always a bit weird where ECW are concerned. Anyway, anything else, Chris, from the first two weeks? Too? I think no, um, obviously, other than Spike gets a good show in of how to take a hiding and yet still look Good. And we haven't had a good underdog win in a while. And we move on to the pay-per-view. Chris, kick us off with the results. So, the opener saw Taz defeat Chris Candido for the ECW World Television title in 10 minutes and 52 seconds. We have Bam Bam Bigelow defeating Spike Dudley in 5 minutes. RVD with Bill Alfonso defeated Al Snow in 13.45. The Dudleys... With Jenna Jameson, Joel Gertner, Sign Guy and Big Dick defeated PG-13 for the World Tag Team titles in 10 minutes 58. Tommy Dreamer with Beulah defeated Jerry the King Lawler in 19 minutes. And Shane Douglas defeated Sabu and Terry Funk for a freeway dance for the World Heavyweight title. Chris, what do you think of this show? In ring, much better than the first pay-per-view. But I've, 
I don't know what they did or why, but it looked, it didn't look as good as the first show. The the production values didn't seem as as good, and it didn't sort of pop as much as the first show did. But I think I don't know why that was, or what what really was that different. But you know, in ring, this is probably the best ECW show this year. Where's well, the claim? Um, the the production value thing seems to be from the reaction of Paul Heyman himself, people in the building, people watching at home, seems to be almost entirely focused on the, the lighting problems, i.e. there just wasn't enough of them. Um, this was very much dingy early 80s um, WCW, WWF type, so early 80s, WCW, NWA. Um, so there was that. Um the in-ring action, I think it sounds like you were higher on it than most. I thought the in-ring action was only at times decent. I don't think it ever got better than that. Um, and I don't think this was a particularly good show. I've been a little bit out of the loop in ECW, kind of been following on with TVs where I can and catching up where I can. But I don't think it's unfair to say that this card going in was particularly flat in terms of its build and in terms of the storylines going in. Only really Dreamer and Lawler had any kind of legs coming into it. Um, and, you know, to a point, who knows what this car would have looked like with a, you know, a fit slash, if he's injured, Stevie Richards and Raven in it as well. Um, you know, the car probably would have looked significantly deeper with those two guys involved. But we ended up with kind of four undercard matches that were never all that I don't think all that good, and then the, you know, a very ECW style Tommy Dreamer and Jerry Lawler match, but not in a way that was necessarily all that good. Um, and then a decent main event. I mean, the other thing that really didn't get um, didn't get mentioned in the results, obviously, it wasn't a match, was what went down with Sandman. Um, I don't quite know what the idea they were planning, and also we'll, we'll tell you about it as we go through the show. Um, but it didn't come off very well. It was one of those things where it wasn't the best show and that kind of dragged it down. But anyway, it sounds like Chris and Moore was more positive. We will find out where and when as we go through the show itself. Uh, so we start, we're in Fort Lauderdale, Fort Florida, by the way. That was another thing to say about the the production and the um, and everything going on in terms of the camera setup and that kind of thing. The Of the 1,800 fans in attendance, probably about... 1,500 of them, well, maybe 1,400 of them were in, like, one big bank opposite the hard camera, and then you had about a few 200, 200-odd either side of the ring, and there was basically just one line of fans uh, between the ring and the hard camera. So it was very much a weirdly set-up venue in that it wasn't like your fans were evenly distributed around the ring. It was very much everyone piled up one side. Um, it meant that when they got their production right, the venue looked really, really big. But at times when they shot from basically the um, the walkway side, i.e. shooting away from where all the fans were, it did look very empty. So between that and the the bad lighting setup, and this was this was below TV standards, and everyone was saying it. Um, that was probably the two main production points to, to bring up. Anyway, 
Joey Styles is in the ring. He name-checks all three men in the main event. They all get booed. Uh, he then name-checks Lawler, who gets even more boos, and then out comes Rick Rude. He comes out to use sold-out chance. Styles takes a moral stand and just buggers off. We get the first big bottle throw of liquid of the night, though it largely misses Rude. Actually, wasn't any more bottle throwing all night, really. Uh, Rude introduces Chris Candido. Out comes Todd Gordon. Gordon rails Rick Rude for becoming the gun for hire and throwing out an ECW contract. He says he doesn't have the manager's license, so he needs to leave. After a 10 count, Rude leaves, sticks the middle finger up right in front of the camera and says, fuck you, Gordon. This is ECW in the mints. In amongst basically some, uh, you know, some self-imposed and some carrier-imposed rulings about what they could say and what they could do. One thing we didn't mention in the news was how ECW essentially had kind of been pulling back on things like brawling in the crowd and bleeding and swearing and, in theory, low blows and, in theory, all of the above. Uh, all of the above as we see, it doesn't always work. Um, but ECW making some changes to to limit some unnecessary usage of some stuff that they've become far too reliant on. Some of that was with mixed success, as we'll find out during the show itself. First match of the night is Chris Candido versus Taz for the ECW television title. The announcer calls it the first of three main events. First big positive reaction of the night for anybody comes to Taz. The bell rings and Candido comes out animated, but Taz isn't moving. Candido slaps him and spits in his face. That gets Taz going. Candido hits Taz with a clothesline. Taz pops straight up. Then another one. Taz sells this one. Taz comes off of the ropes and Candido sets for a leapfrog and Taz just boots him straight in the bollocks. That's the first low blow of the night. Taz locks in an armbar. Candido goes to the ropes. Taz calls him a pussy, I think. Yeah, a big powerbomb from Candido. Taz hits a bridging Northern Light suplex for a nice near fall. Candido charges Taz in the corner and gets flipped over to the outside. Candido then whips Taz into the guardrail. Candido hits a Hurricane Rana from the top and goes for a t- goes to the top and hits a diving headbutt. Taz ducks a clothesline and floors Candido with one of his own. Taz goes with a sidearm bow and arrow. Candido fights out. Taz hits a belly-to-belly suplex from the second rope, then hits a big release German suplex. The crowd have been in and out of this one. Another thing to say about production was, apparently the crowd, in theory, were a lot hotter than what came across um, on the pay-per-view feed itself. Canido sits uh, Taz on the top rope. He then turns his back to Taz and cockily does a throat slash, throat slit if you like. At the same time he's doing that, Taz does the same thing. Taz jumps on Candido's shoulders, locks in the Taz mission, and Candido falls to the floor and taps very quickly. Chris, your thoughts on this? See, I really, really like this as an opener. Um, obviously, there, there was the sort of usual outside whipping into the railings um, that you have to have in pretty much every match in ECW. They can't just stay in the ring. Um, but you had the best of Taz doing his suplexes. You've got Candido, who is a master of A, taking said suplexes and look, making them look like they hurt even more, and also getting in his own level of high offence. Um, it was it was a proper wrestling match to start the show. And it, it's when you see this level with Candido, you think what the Fed could have done with him if they'd have actually used him properly and not just put him in tag team after tag team as the body donners and wasted him. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it helps that Candido in ECW is not anywhere near as undersized as he's in the WWF. Um, as they are, I, I'm not, I don't think he's six foot tall. I might be wrong on that. It doesn't look like he's so muscular. Um, but Candido's kind of, of Taz's height, 
and in uh, in the WWF that would make you a a small guy, which doesn't help the presentation. But I think in ECW, um, like a lot of guys, like nine one one was the the giant of ECW. He's only about six foot four. Um, but in a in, in a land where being five ten is average height, six four is a giant. You take that to the WWF, and he's just normal. Mm. Um, this match was fine. Um, it wasn't any better than that. The crowd, as I say, it, it's you know we, we, if we judge the crowd by what came through on the pay per view, we're going to be quite harsh on them. But I I think I still will be because you know I, I get the feeling people in attendance saying the audience the reaction was a lot louder. I, you know sometimes people misrepresent that. Uh, the crowd were definitely in and out of this match. Um, it was a match with not really much build um, of, of all the possible opponents for Taz. Candido would have been about eighth on my list, I feel like, which doesn't particularly help. Um, but it was, yeah, one of a few proper wrestling matches on the show. Um, and yeah, it was okay, but it wasn't any better than that. I don't think it was as good as they were hoping for. Um, and it kind of set the tone, really, for, for an evening where... Matches were okay, but you felt like they were missing something. And this felt like it was missing something too. But at least, you know, my thought was they could have done Taz and Van Damme, which perhaps would have made more sense given both their respective opponents. But it did give Taz a clean win, and it set up Van Damme for a clean win as well. So there is that. Joey Styles promos the pay-per-view uh, for November. November to remember we live on pay-per-view from Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh, Chris, is that right? Yes. This is Philadelphia. Right, that's right. We see a clip from before the show went on air with Rob Van Dam and Sabu. That Sabu in a suit, basically going for the Iron Sheik look. Uh, they take out the insane clown posse. More on that later. Next up, it's Spike Dudley versus Bam Bam Bigelow in their rematch from last week. Bam Bam is very over here. Predictably, Bam Bam just picks up Spike and launches him across the ring. He goes for a crucifix slam. Uh, Spike is almost, and then does a bulldog out of the corner. Spike comes off of the top, Bam Bam catches him and just smashes him with a powerbomb. Bam Bam picks up Spike and drops him onto the ring post. He falls to the floor. Spike blades. Bam Bam picks Spike up in a press position. Spike is pouring blood from his head. That is not a good look at all. Of course, Bam Bam responds to this by just launching him into the second row of fans. Spike recovers, although he does that, and they basically have to like patch him up and they try and spell the trying to stop the bleeding which is not a good look at all because he's bleeding on a load of fans bam bam while this is going on just has a cartwheel in the ring because you know why not bam bam hits a body slam then a big moonsault from the top and that will do that the segment finishes with the camera not cutting away quickly enough and, and just when we get to Joey Styles we see a ring hand climbing into the ring with a mop and a bucket to try and sweep up all the blood um Chris, when we get to the match itself, fair to say that not the best set of visuals with Spike bleeding heavily into a load of fans and then finishing it all off with a, a ring hand trying to mop up a load of blood. No, um, obviously I get what they wanted to do with this, was obviously having just a little bit of blood to, to show the dominance of Bam Bam. Um, obviously Spike not the best at blading as... Either he, he bleeds far too easily or he nicked far too deeply because, uh, yeah, it was uh, proverbially pissing out of him. It was. Um, and, yeah, like, there was apparently, I wouldn't say a split reaction in ECW, but I think some people realised the severity of the situation and how it looked a lot more than others did. And some people are just like, well, this is why we're struggling, you know, this is why people think we're too violent. Um and, you know, it's picky spots. It's, 
does Spike need to play in that spot? No, like whether it was a big no, nick or no. not, like you know, he doesn't need to get bloodied up. Um, you know, you, you say, and it's just uh it's it's all a it's all a contributing factor. Everything's small contributions to this thing, this presentation, and this not necessarily incorrect perception that ECW can be small time and can look small time. The match itself was fine, but I think Chris ECW had the idea that we'll set up Spike beating Bam Bam as a, a way of setting up a pay per view match. I don't think anyone bought that. The the thing with this though is Spike obviously got his win and then has been absolutely demolished. I may have done this the other way around where I've had Spike getting the underdog win on pay-per-view and then getting demolished on TV. Wasn't the logic that you needed the reason for the pay-per-view match itself? Yeah, there is there is that. Obviously, that's the reason why we're, we're, we've got to the point where we've got to um, and sort of puts it on telly and gives it a reason for being on the show. But you could have quite easily had it as an open challenge and Spike got, came out, plucky underdog gets a win. Um, I like how Bam Bam looked in this. I think Bam Bam throwing people around and makes him look even more dominant and more massive and, than he already does. And it sort of puts him back to where he was... 10 years ago when he first sort of turned up in the Fed. Obviously, he came in as the big destroying monster. And, you know, after the stuff with Taylor and everything else in that second Fed run, this is the first time in ages where he's actually looked like a proper monster again. Yeah, I get the feeling this was, again, we talk about a pay-per-view card that felt undercooked. This was a, shit, we've got nothing for Bam Bam to actually do. Let's just give him a guy that looks, make him look good. Basically, a squash match. Um, you know, it, it, apparently Bam Bam has been offered a WWF deal, but I think has turned it down for, well, one, potentially a number of reasons. Um, but I, I get the feeling that, when ECW kind of shake themselves out and when they kind of get the nose pointing towards November and the next pay-per-view that they're going to feature Bam Bam in probably one of their top two or three matches on that card. So it'll be interesting to see who they put him against. Um, there's a few possible options in that regard. And yeah, you could... It would be a wild one, I suppose. I mean, Bam Bam is a heel in, in, in the same way that, that they are, but you could probably... I think it would make most sense to put him opposite someone like Van Damme or Sabu. See, um, I I would probably look at... As, as a continuation of where we are at the moment, you could put him against Taz and have Taz see this as a way he works himself through the triple threat to get to the world title while he's on this run as TV champion. That could work. Yeah, that could work as well. That would make a lot more sense, actually. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, 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 don't think, I don't think Bam Bam's going to be on the pay-per-view in November in such an insignificant match. Mm. Go on, Chris, what are you going to say? I was going to say, if you sort of think the visual of, say, Taz and Bam Bam, I think that could that as a, as a match, if sort of Bam Bam's getting thrown about or even sort of blocking Taz's suplexes, I think that could that could be something where you could put some money on that and get people invested and people involved to wanting to see it. That could be a really bankable number two match as well, um, providing that, you know, Taz has been presented strongly enough. I, I know the size difference is a big point, um, but ECW have done that before because they didn't know they did it with Paul Varlins last year. 
Um, you can Taz and Bam Bam. I wouldn't main event the show with it, and you know, once it says they'll main event the show with Douglas against somebody. Um, but I think that would be a really good number two match. Um, you know, you could do that. You could do well. We can discuss later. But you know, Douglas against you know Van Dam or Sabu probably makes most sense as well. That's beginning to make sense. But yeah, I, I think this show was missing a, a third bankable storied match, uh, and Bam Bam could have been that guy. But you know, as we say, some certain things did work against them, which didn't help. You know, you think about this card on another night would have included you know Dudley's against the Eliminators, and obviously it couldn't. Um, it would have included probably Funk against Richards, and it probably would have included Dreamer against Raven. So when you, when you think about all of that and all these guys that we could have put elsewhere, this is why this card, I think, is, it, it isn't where it should be. But, but there we mm. are. We go back to the insane clown posse footage from earlier in the show. Salman comes out and gets laid out by Van Damme and Sabu, who lay a chair on his head and do a dueling splash on opposite corners. Salman then gets taken away in an ambulance. More on that in a bit. The next match is taking place under Monday Night Wars. Uh, Monday Night Rules, sorry. Monday Night Wrestling was what they announced, or whatever that means. Uh, the reason they announced it, obviously, Ron Van Damme was in one corner with Bill Alfonso, and he was up against Al Snow. And Al Snow, you may remember, but, um, had a very brief run at ECW uh, in 95. He had that bombastic match against Chris Benoit about two and a half years ago. Uh, and then he went to the WWF as Leaf Cassidy, and obviously nothing's really happened. They set on the contract with the WWF, but he's been loaned out to ECW. The the embers of the ECW-WWF relationship are still going, although for, for the meantime, it does seem to be more a case that we'll see it more in ECW than we may see it in the in the WWF. But Snow, I think, essentially has just been taken off of television, and they just sent him here to to rehab, to to let him work, and to perhaps work on some, some character development as well. well. That's kind of the probably the most prominent part of the, uh, the relationship between the two companies. Now, Bill Alfonso refereed here for years under Billy Graham, for what that's worth. Van Damme floor Snow with a big sidekick. Snow does a wheelbarrow suplex. He does a die to the outside and there's a body slam on the floor. No matting down tonight. Snow attempts and fails to pull apart the guardrail. Snow walks to the curtain, then legs it back to the ring and hits a big clothesline. Van Damme hits a baseball slide, but Snow moves and clotheslines him. Van Damme takes a run up in the ring, hits a somersault dive onto Snow on the floor. That really nice. We go to the top. Snow hits a big angle, big high angle superplex, and both men go down. Van Damme hits a spin kick from the top rope. Those look horrid as always. He lands hard on his standing leg, but thankfully no injury. Van Damme hits a frog splash from the top, but only gets a two. Van Damme jumps onto Snow's shoulders. Snow just falls backwards and Van Damme lands hard. Snow hits a sit-out body slam, then hits a running drop kick onto Van Damme, who sat on the top. He tumbles onto the timekeeper's table, then onto the chair, then finally ends up in a heap on the floor. Snow gets the chair and smacks Van Damme in the head with it several times. He does the run down the aisleway again. Preposterously, he doesn't see Van Damme bend down and pick up the chair and get smashed over the face with it. Van Damme drops a leg. That's that's Salman, by the way. Van Damme drops a leg, then there's a weird roll-up where he basically just sits on him. Snow just about kicks out. Van Damme throws a chair at Snow, then hits the spin kick, and that's the three. Chris? This was the the wrestling. Obviously, when I mentioned at the beginning, obviously, Taz and Candido was the wrestling match. This then took the mantle of the wrestling match and topped it up. Um... I thought this was absolutely amazing. Um, 
Al Snow, obviously we knew it from the, the matches with Benoit and Tuchel from his first run, but he has been wasted in the Fed as Leaf Cassidy. And I'm quite happy to have him back in ECW if we're going to get this sort of level of thing from him on a regular basis. Um, RVD, I don't know how he managed this, but he keeps coming up with new stuff every time we see him. Um, and it's constantly getting better as well. Um, I would say, and I don't like saying this, but I could see him being with one of the big two within a year if he keeps going the way he's going. Um, obviously, with the fact that there's no proper contracts in ECW, Mr. Monday Night as a gimmick may become the truth. Yeah. Um, I'm somewhat surprised he hasn't been signed already, is the answer in short. I'm somewhat surprised how you can have him on on WF television, how they can't go, actually, this guy would be a really good addition to our roster. Or at least someone, you know, you could kind of sign him informally or sign him to a deal where he wrestles across both. I don't know. Um, but if I'm WWF and I'm looking for a, a, a mid-card heel, um, that, you know, or even a mid-card bay face, depending on, you know, how far you want to push the style. Um, yeah, I think that will be right on the street. This was a good match. Um, the best wrestling match on the, on the show. Um, it didn't... It didn't flow particularly well. The crowd weren't really into it because the snow came in cold. And again, it's kind of what I talked about in terms of the, in terms of what's what's important about this show and what was missing about this show. It was about storylines going in, which was a bit of a problem. Um, but snow looked good. Van Damme looked good. Um, the wax worked. It didn't flow brilliantly at times. There were some good spots. Didn't always make sense. But I think basically the plan with snow is they're going to have him go on a losing streak for a while. And then he'll snap or they'll move move the character somewhere else and then they'll start building him up from there. Um, he's a really good addition, though. He's a really good guy to have around. We talk about ECW's work rate. Uh, apparently the whole thing with uh, Lou Spicoli's fallen through. Um, Spicoli ended up basically um, saying, oh, I quit. And they said, actually, no, you're fired um, over a number of reasons. And so, you know, they're, they're looking for workers in, in more ways than one. He's the guy that certainly fits that bill. Um, I'm, yeah. Uh, Chris, any more thoughts on this match? Mm. Uh, no, obviously, I'm just sort of going to second what obviously you've been saying with Al Snow, as I've sort of said at the beginning. Um, but you look at someone like Snow, and obviously now we've lost Piccoli, that you could put him in, uh, as we do later in the month, we get him against Shane, We could you could put him against Taz... You could put him against pretty much anyone on the roster, and you know you're going to get a decent match. So, you know, I, as I said, I'm so happy he's here, and I hope that he stays. We hear from Jerry Lawler, the usual stuff. He claims he got a call from Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he gave me his order to open a can of whoop-ass. It is my pleasure to introduce Wicked Pictures Adult oriented superstar of film and motion picture, ladies and gentlemen, the lovely Jenna Jameson. Introducing first, at ringside, myself, Studley Dudley. 
Remember that name, you'll be screaming it later. Also, in the ring at this time, the most outspoken personality in extreme championship wrestling, Sign Guy Dudley. Nice, Zook. Custom made or off the rack? Also in the ring at this time, the man with the 25-inch arms and the 14-inch cup wrists, the true mastodon of professional wrestling, phallic and metallic, Big Dick Dudley! He's a monster. He's got arms like legs and legs like people. Ladies and gentlemen, the following content. We're in the ring with Joel Gertner and the Dudleys. They're joined by porn star Gemma Jameson because, well, why not, right? Gertner introduces himself as Studley Dudley and then turns to Jameson and says, remember that name, you'll be screaming it later. He then introduces Big Dick Dudley as the, quote, the man with the 25-inch arms and the 14-inch cock. Phallic and metallic, it's Big Dick Dudley. Oh, there we go, eh? Any, of, of all the things that you might, all the reasons why ECW might not get shown on the, on pay-per-view, you know, introducing a porn star and then referring to a guy as having a 14-inch cock and calling him phallic and metallic. As everyone going, it is great, though. There is that. And next up, it's the Dudley Boy. Actually, Chris, thoughts on that? Anything on, on that? Gertner is really good, isn't he, now? He he has definitely found his 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 uh, his aura and is keeping it up. And every time, he's just getting better and better. Um, obviously, he was wasted as Hype Central. Now, with the Dudleys, we are seeing amazing innuendos and double entendres. And even to the point where it's not even innuendos anymore. It's just blatant. Yeah. And next up, it's the Dudley Boys, Boharay and Devon, with Big Dick, Sign Guy, Joel Gertner, and Gemma Jameson, I guess, who did stay out there for the entire match, versus PG-13, JC Ice, and Wolfie D for the ECW Tag Team Titles. Dundee comes out and says, Mama Dudley, this is JC Ice, obviously, uh, Mama Dudley must be a hoe, he rips on Everson, everyone, and then tells Jameson where he's staying tonight, which gets quite a big pop. PG-13 mistimes some sort of double-team move. We get a crisscross running spot. JC Ice drops to the floor and kisses Jameson. That got a big reaction. As did, I did really like Gertner after the whole thing had dispersed, just then kind of stepped in to try and guard Jameson. Like after everything after everything had dissipated, he's like, I've got you, Jenna, don't worry. Like after it's all over. Wolfie D lands on his feet and floors Bubba. He goes for a big crossbody but meets thin air. Working Wolfie's arm in the corner with the ref distracted. Devon keeps his back turned and Wolfie D then puts Bubba's arm in there instead and Devon wrenches on it a few times before realising it. Hokey, but it got a really good reaction and a large you fucked up chant. Bubba slaps Devon for good measure. JC Ice gets tripped by Jameson as he comes off the ropes. Fans chant, bounce, bounce, bounce at Jameson who's only wearing a bikini top and she obliges. Wolfie D gets in and hits a lovely double drop kick on both Dudleys then hits a lovely sit-up powerball on Devon. JC Ice goes for a big running crossbody to the outside. The Dudleys catch him but Wolfie D follows and takes them all down. We then get 3D in the ring on Wolfie D and that will do that. Chris? It was nice in this to have a an old school tag team match where 
obviously we we have the silly spot where the Dudleys attack each other, but you know, good sort of classic tag team wrestling psychology of cutting the ring in half, using the ref, doing double teams, and not having to have the usual. What we have been having with the Dudleys is obviously the weapon field brawls, but that's because they are fighting the the gangsters and people like that. Um, I I could see sort of upside in the Dudleys. Um, every time I see them. Obviously, especially like with today, with it being no, with no weapons, you always see these things that they're working on and getting so well at that I can see these guys, if they can bring out the more dick side of them and more arsehole side, that they will be the biggest heels in the company. Yeah, in a company that isn't uh, afraid to, you know, that's the kind of thing with Taz being a face now. Like we're we're back to the point where, you know, I don't know exactly who the heels are, but a company that, as we as we discussed before, is not afraid to push tag teams to the top of the card if they feel they warrant it. Um, the Dudleys are an entertaining act. This was a weird one. Lots going on. The Jenna Jameson stuff, like a, you know. Who's she friends with? Was was my you know which which one of that roster is the uh, you know I, I won't really explore that thought process anymore. But I don't know how they got on the show one way or another. Um, but she was um, an interesting addition to the match, and you know she she got involved at one point. Um, but PG thirteen, I um, PG thirteen to me are an act that have been buried on Raw a couple of times. I don't think ECW have had enough time to really kind of rehab them. Um, and as we say, this was a match that probably would have been the gangsters had they not already fallen out of Mustafa. Would have been the Eliminators had Perry Saturn not been hurt. Um, and yeah, like, you know, it's it's just... Chris, I, I think this match happened most just because of the opponents. See, I, I quite like PG-13. Um, and the fact of it being in Florida is pretty much near where their, their usual territorial base is um, they are southern redneck heels um, you would imagine that a, a decent majority of the ECW fans who are in from Florida will know their local guys and know that these two are a bunch of dicks so obviously that's where they should know who they are obviously going against the Dudleys I don't know whether you'd want them to be your faces or not, because obviously the Dudleys are meant to be the heels. Um, but then, are they just the arseholes because they're the outsiders and not from ECW? Um, but I think for, for the type of match they had, I think they worked really well. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, it was okay. It was a good match. I, again, you know, just suffered from the fact that I don't think people really brought them as challenges, which doesn't really help. But again, only so much you can do, I guess. Uh, we're back in the helicopter. I say back. Uh, but I just got, how they, they've got a helicopter. I don't know why. I was under the impression this was fake, but I don't think it was this segment or the next one. It's an actual helicopter, as in they had a shot showing the ambulance driving around uh, Fort Lauderdale. The story being, I don't really work this out subsequently, was that Sandman had hijacked the ambulance. And apparently, as much as obviously he hadn't actually hijacked an ambulance, apparently he was literally driving it. 
and we actually do have a helicopter. It is we had to pay for this because because I saw it. Oh god, they just they dug up some old kind of police chase footage. Yeah. The camera pans back. They spin around. That's right in the passenger seat in the helicopter doing a report on an ambulance driving around Fort Lauderdale, being actually driven by the Sandman, in storyline him commandeering it, uh, and with the idea that Sandman basically had taken over the ambulance and was driving himself back to the arena. Apparently he'd stopped off for a fag and a pint, you know. You... The one perception you always want is that one of your major stars is drink driving an ambulance around Florida, whether he is or not. Um, Chris, I... I've got fuck all idea what they thought this was going to do. I, I, you know, I don't know how expensive helicopters are to hire, but if their profit margin on this show was, say, $40,000, and this cost $1,500, this was not $1,500 well spent. No, um, this is this is the only downside to this whole show. and it, The worst thing about it is it makes zero sense. Of, of A, why, because like you, I thought this was basically them ripping on Vince for doing the stuff at the Hollywood Backlot Brawl last year where they you reused the OJ footage. I thought it was going to be one of those, but, you know, ECW doing it, it's an ambulance chase. But to realise that they've actually paid to do this and they're doing it, it it's it's just weird and random, and I don't see where it goes from here either, what sort of benefit it has, because it's not like Sandman is now going to have a gimmick where he's an ambulance driver or going to start commandeering vehicles. You know, he, he's the drunk that fights. That's his stick, and that's all it ever needs to be, because that's about all he can do. Yeah, um, I just, you know, we've seen this kind of angle before, and I don't think it's ever worked. Like, we've seen it with, you know, we've seen it with Hogan a couple of times before he became healed. You know, I think that was, uh, I don't know whether it was his first clash or his second, but I seem to remember there was one where he was attacked uh, at the start of the show, and then they basically had a race against time to see whether he was going to be able to make it back in time for the main event, which... Uh, I'm certainly miraculously did. I mean, this was 94. Um, we've seen it since the OJ, the OJ thing, the thing with Piper and Goldust, these kind of storylines that are stitched throughout shows that just don't really work. Um, but this one, like, was barely coherent. Like, they, they, they were shooting the Lance Wright stuff live when they, they landed the helicopter and they shot it again. And a fucking helicopter. I... <laughs> I don't know, like, of all the... Like, imagine what that $1,500... I'm not saying it did, I'll just put that number out there. Yeah. But imagine what $1,500 could have done with extra lighting. Mm. You know, that kind of thing. It's, uh... Get your priorities straight. I don't know. Mm. Anyway. The lights come back up in the War Memorial and Jerry Lawler is in the ring. Lawler takes time to plug next month's Ground Zero pay-per-view. This isn't quite the heat volcano I was expecting. The fans are quite flat for this. King then basically reprised the interview he did earlier. He said Undertaker told him, if you really want Tommy Dreher to rest in peace, then give him one of those tombstone pile drivers. He goes on to quote alleged advice from Bret Hart and Steve Austin too. Next up, it's Jerry Lawler versus Tommy Dreamer with Beulah McGillicutty. 
Trio wallops Lawler with a cookie sheet and Lawler tumbles to the floor. They're brawling all over the floor and Lawler is bladed already. Trio grabs a beer off one of the fans and throws it in Lawler's face. We go deep into the crowd, another beer. We return to ringside and go deep into another part of the crowd with Dreamer in full control. Dreamer strangles Lawler with a belt. Back in the ring, Dreamer climbs to the top with a chair in hand and Lawler crotches him. Lawler throws Dreamer off of the top and Dreamer lands onto the unfolded chair. We're back on the floor. Dreamer gets crotched on the guardrail. Lawler wraps his fist with the belt and then hits Dreamer. Lawler sets for a pile dryer and he hits it too. Lawler rips the ECW shirt off of Dreamer, wipes it under his armpit and then on his arse. Dreamer starts fighting back. Lawler then hits Dreamer in the bollocks, keeping an eye on the nutshot count in this match. Dreamer drives Lawler into the corner. The rest takes a bump, then Lawler DDTs him. Lawler gets Dreamer's legs wrapped around the post. Dreamer manages to pull him into the post and the lights go out. The lights come back on and Rick Rude levels Dreamer with a bin. And then another. Lawler gets him in the ring and pins him but only gets a two. Dreamer sets for a par drive, the lights go out again. The lights come back on, and it's Jake Roberts. Roberts flattens Dreamer with a clothesline. We get huge DDT counts, which Roberts obliges laying out Dreamer. Roberts then clotheslines Lawler, who falls into a pinning position, but Dreamer kicks out. Dreamer sets for a DDT of his own. Out go the lights again. They come back, and it's Sunny. She sprays, she sprays hairspray into Dreamer's eyes, then Beulah goes after her. Lawler grabs Beulah, then shakes the pile driver. Dreamer grabs a chair, shapes to swing it, but Lawler puts Beulah in harm's way. Beulah takes a big swing and low blows Lawler, as does Dreamer. Dreamer then uh, follows that with a DDT for the win. Chris? This was a bit of a random match, really. Um, so we've had Rick Rude turn up, we had Jake the State turn up, and Sonny turn up. It was what it needed to be. It was a scripted brawl around the building. It had Lawler getting a hiding as he needed to. You know, there was all the set pieces, like Tommy grabbing the beer, the burger being squashed in his face, you know, them going in and out of the bleachers. It all worked, and it all sort of means that Tommy's sort of won the war, which now means that obviously he looks really good because he defended ECW. Um, obviously, as you said... Lawler didn't have the right level of heat that you'd expected him to. Um, if this had been Philly, Pittsburgh, or even New York, I think it would have been a more ravenous and the crowd would have wanted his blood. So they definitely wouldn't have been able to do the into-the-crowd stuff. Um, but other, other than Roberts, I like the use of who they... with Sonny, with Rude. But... I, I don't get why Jake the Snake was there and what they're going to do with him. Uh, I'm not sure they do either. I mean, basically, the story was, apparently they were just fishing around in the week leading up to the show for anyone they could find. Apparently, they got as far as trying to get a hold of Jim Duggan, of all people. I can't imagine a guy who'd be less appropriate for an ECW-type setting than you know, American flag-waving Jim Duggan from 1980s WWF. Um, but yeah, like apparently the original idea was for Rude and then for Roberts to level it up. Um, but apparently Roberts literally turned up to the building 15 minutes before, not the show starting, this where he was required for the angle. 
Um, you know, obviously he's not known for you know being the most reliable guy, amongst other things. And so apparently they just thought, shit, we need something for this. And so they, they were desperately trying to get WWF on the line, or Vince McMahon on the line, or whoever, to say, can we use Sonny on our show? Never got through and decided, fuck it, we'll do it anyway. So that explains Sonny's... Um, Sonny's uh, inclusion in the match. I mean, they, they didn't decide that on 15 minutes. They basically kind of had her in as a as a decoy, um, or had her in as an option before Roberts turned up, and I think just decided to use her anyway. Obviously, um, we knew that she'd be there because she's been at recent events with Chris anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that there, there is always that. Um, the match itself was a weird one. I, I suspect when people came away from the show really enjoying the show from a live perspective. This was probably the match that had the biggest difference on it. A very ECW-style match, but one that probably drew most of the negatives from that style without many of the positives. Like, I can imagine if you were in the crowd, it was nice with the brawl. I could also imagine if you were in the crowd, it was nice to have these big kind of surprise, you know, the lights go out, they come back on. Feels like a, a more memorable match than usual. Sonny doesn't appear on ECW very much, so that was nice. And Roberts was Roberts, which was a, a weird surprise. Apparently a lot of people in the building kind of saw it. Um, I would say saw him arrive, but I think given the way the, the arena was set up, uh, it wasn't the most difficult to work out when people were moving around backstage, given that the, the dressing room was basically the opposite end from where people were walking out. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't think it was a good match. Um, we talk about the, the, the nut shots, loads of them kind of really lost their impact. Um, you know, and Lauren Drews isn't a good pairing. Um, you know, and this match didn't have the... Yeah, we, we talk about the crowd not being mic properly. We heard the crowd it off, where I don't know that that's a brilliant explanation for any of this. Um, and I don't know if the crowd were massively into it. Lawler wasn't this big. Um, there wasn't all that much heat over Lawler. Um, Dreamer was liked, obviously, but not loved. And I guess it's one of those things where the... You know, Chris, Chris I don't know how bad this match would have been perceived had there not been those run-ins. Hmm. Um... Sort of thinking about it now, so sort of going through it stuff, I, I'm, I'm sort of seeing the faults that this match had, um, and yeah, it, it did sort of really sort of deal with the bad side of the cliches and not none of the good bits of DCW cliches. Um, I suppose the one positive that you'll see of it is that we won't see it again because I would imagine that we won't get the King back in ECW now. Um, especially if, you know, obviously as last month was said, that the relationship between the two is is not as high as it was. Obviously, you know, initially there was meant to be a SummerSlam match where, obviously, that all went down the drain. I think this is, this is the end of it now. Obviously, there may be a few people that turn up, i.e. like uh, Al Snow. But, I don't think we'll have the high presence that we have had. No, and I don't know that, um, you know, I don't know what else Lawler could do. Um, you know, that was kind of it, really. I don't know where else we'd go with Lawler in ECW. Um, that match was one and done. There's no real obvious other opponent. There's a few different directions you could take him in. Um, but I think that experiment was a one-show shot. It was worth it. It was a good story, and God knows this show needed one. Um, but you watch the match and you're like, yeah, um, you know, Lawler's never been this wonderful worker anyway, and now he's at an age where he, you know, 
and, and not that, you know, Dreamer's not a great worker either. Um, they just about got away with it, but I don't think this was a great match. I don't think this was a great ECW-style match either. Um, it just was what it was. Um, but it was a needed match on this car. We needed a match with something going on it, and this certainly, certainly had that. We're back in the chopper. The ambulance arrives back at the arena. I have no idea what's supposed to have happened, but we cut to grainy dark footage of Sandman swinging and caning the police, I think. And it's time for the main event. It's Shane Douglas with Francine versus Terry Funk versus Sabu for the ECW World Heavyweight title. This is ECW Elimination Rules. Francine offers Funk some money. He rejects it. Funk gets on the apron, basically seems to intimate this is a match where you can tag in and out, it just drops to the outside. Stars remind us that in the match from 94, Douglas and Sabu were the first two guys that started the match and Funk arrived 15 minutes in. Funk and Sabu just start beating up uh, Douglas. Sabu hits a slingshot, uh, sorry, Douglas and Sabu start beating up Funk. Sabu hits a slingshot leg drop onto Funk as Douglas holds him down. Sabu attempts to pin Funk as Douglas just smashes him over the back with a chair. Sabu comes off of the top and takes out Funk with a body press. Douglas recovers on the floor and Sabu hits an acai moonsault onto Funk. Now it's the turn of Douglas and Funk going after Sabu. They hit him with double team neckbreaker onto two chairs. Funk grabs the chair and starts swinging. Douglas hits a spinning toe hold onto Funk. Douglas and Francine go up the R way and grab a piece of guardrail and Douglas lobs it into the ring. They lay the guardrail up against the turnbuckle. Douglas gets dropped onto it. Sabu puts the guardrail onto Funk, who's trying to pin Douglas. Sabu leg drops the lot. We briefly reprise the famous double sleeper spot from three years ago. They reprise it again. This time Sabu goes from the end of the chain to the start. Sabu hits a triple jump moonsault onto Douglas, then tries it again onto Funk, but the chair breaks under his weight. Sabu inevitably hits a triple jump moonsault onto both men, then goes for a double pin, but both men kick out. A table gets in the ring, Sabu lays Funk onto it onto the table, then Alfonso gets in the ring to punch Funk. Todd Gordon runs out and pulls Funk off and then leaves Alfonso on the table. All this time, Sabu is on the turnbuckle trying to set up a chair so he can jump off of that too, and you've got to try and pretend he can't see what's going on. He fucks around for a little bit whilst he's going on, both Gordon, put on by Douglas, and Alfonso, put on by Funk, end up lying on the table. Sabu turns around and crashes through it, and there's a great reaction for all that as Sabu goes through the table, alongside Gordon and Alfonso. A ladder appears, Sabu grabs it and floors both Douglas and Funk. Sabu goes to the top with the ladder, Sandman comes out and throws him off. He hits a slingshot leg drop onto the ladder on Sabu. He kicks out anyway. Sabu then just gets pinned by Douglas and Funk. Be surprised if everyone caught that. Sabu gets held back by police. Of course, it's just a setup for a big pile of people for Sabu to throw himself onto. There's a mass of people fill up the R way. We're down to two as Funk goes after Francine. He then grabs a beard and just starts smashing it into Douglas's head before hitting himself over the head with it a few times. About half the locker room is now still in the R way. Douglas hits a beta belly suplex and Funk kicks out. Douglas holds up Funk and Francine slaps him in the face and from nowhere it's Dory Funk Jr. Of course it is. Douglas bumps around for his uppercuts. Terry Funk goes for a roll-up and almost gets in. Douglas blocks the spinning toe holes. They get on the apron. Douglas and Funk end up falling through the timekeeper's table. Funk nearly gets it with inside cradle. Douglas picks him up. It's another base belly suplex. Wins the match and the title in an incredibly flat finish. Chris? This was better than the first triple threat or three-way these guys had. Um, 
I mean, everyone got their shit in and it made everyone look really good. Funk, Funk looked good in taking a beating and sort of not having to carry so much of the match. Sabu was in his usual top form, literally diving off or through anything that he could. Um, Sandman manages to do something decent for once, which is always a, a minor miracle. But why why did Dora turn up? That was that was another one of just let's see what random member of the Funk family we could find. There's really any other, is there? I suppose you sort of are limited now to. His dad's not really going to do a lot, is he? So, yeah. So, well, but, well, his dad's dead. I mean, there is that. Uh, well, yeah. We could have brought his horse out. Could have done. Yeah, this, this conversation's taking a weird turn, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, I, I enjoyed this. I thought, um, so, so when we were thinking it was just going to be Shane versus Funk, I was, I was thinking that's probably going to be a fairly bad match. But having Sabu turn up and doing it as a freeway, I, I think it made this match much better. Yeah, I don't know that it was as good as their, their, their first match, but I think their first match was probably made better for its historical significance more than anything else. Um, but this was a good match. Um, it was the match you would expect. Like, I don't think you can look at a match like this and expect a technical classic. You know, Sabu's involved, and Sabu's inclusion helped. Um, you know, it, it, it gave the two of them something to work off. I mean, Funk's, Funk's not a guy that I think can go 25 minutes in 1997 on his own. Um, and yeah, it, it all, it all held itself together. I don't know that it was ever gripping, um, as in it doesn't help with the, the uh, the three way spot where or the three man match where you got to get rid of one of them first and it was the the usual style let's get rid of the champion first and then we can set ourselves up um, but I, I don't know if this match was helped by the fact that I think it was very very obvious Douglas was going to win um, and then we kind of get to, to to the finish I mean Chris it has been said this month the belly to belly finisher might be the most might be the worst finisher of any significant wrestler we cover across any of these three shows, it's not a move that's over. And that was a really flat finish. Yeah, um, it is a bit of a problem when you think, you see, especially when you've got Sabu in a match, you see the shit that he's doing that gets near falls and it's just a basic belly-to-belly. We've said that before when we had the Sandman, or the Shane and Pitbull stuff. Where you know he'd chairs, chains, and everything else, but this basic wrestling move is the thing that wins. Um, look at other people that use belly to bellies regularly. You look at, like the Steiners and stuff. It's just a transition move. Um, so yeah, he. I think Shane could always do with something a bit more high impact, or at least a little bit more flashy as a finish. Especially when you see his his running buddy in. The triple threat is using a top rope power bomb. It, it could do with something that's a. It doesn't have to be sort of like as impressive as a top rope power bomb, but it has to be something that looks more like a finishing move than just a transition move. Yeah, um, match was fine. Uh, top change was inevitable. It was a good end to the show, or at least it. 
in theory it's the end of the show. Of course it carried on. Um, Douglas continues the attack after the match and out comes Joel Gertner. Gertner wants Douglas to drop the triple threat and align with the Dudleys. Out comes Candido and Bigelow. This starts off a brawl as Big Dick is there too and everyone just gets in the ring and Douglas and the triple threat bugger off. Douglas clear the ring and balls and axle uh, balls and axle rotten come out swinging chairs. Eventually the Dudleys are left until the gangsters music hit. It's New Jack and Cronus and Saturn and balls and axles. They clear the ring. Saturn hits a bubble cutter on Devon and Big Dick while dropping an elbow from the top. We then cut to the fan cam because all fan cams are hooked up to the director's truck. We end up with Gertner in there on his own. New Jack nails him with a chair. We finish with the faces celebrating with the fans. Um, Chris, the, the logic behind this was we, we don't want the show to go off the air with Douglas a heel winning the championship. Um, but I don't know that this was all that brilliant a way to finish. It kind of, it, for me, it kind of summed up the show and the show felt very middling and this was a very middling way to end it. I, I like this as a sort of thing to have that spectacle of, Having the, the the moment where you have New Jack coming out with all his shit, bashing people over the head, it, it's what you need from ECW. It's the one thing we haven't had all night, really. And as as a sort of ending package to send the fans home happy, and you know to give you the ECW style finish, it works. Um, I don't really know why. Because it's something that Vince has done for years, where you always put, you know, the good guy or, you know, the nice finish on a show. Why he couldn't have just had Shane finish it off and that'd be the end of it. But, you know, I'll always like seeing the gangsters, or New Jack, should I say, as Mustafa's not there, coming out. And I I feel that I may have been right a couple of months ago when I said that with, with the injuries that they've both got with their partners... Cronus and New Jack as a tag team could be a thing. Yeah, could be. I, you know, I, I don't think that. You know, Cronus, Cronus with a few months' work could be made into a serious contender. Um, but ECW do like to make their tag team divisions quite deep, and that would be a good way of making something out of you know two flat situations. Um, well, ECW probably needs to build their division back up again a little bit. Um, Chris, your all thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10? So, as I said at the beginning, I, I do believe it is a much better show than the first pay-per-view. Um, everything was was good. Um, obviously, sort of going over it with you, I can see some of the issues in the uh, Lawler and Dreamer stuff. And obviously, the stuff with Sandman and the ambulance is a bit random. Um, I feel that the show was paced really well. Um, which is something that ECW do sometimes struggle with. Um, it, it's decent. There was two really, really good wrestling matches that are well worth your time to go out and find and see in the RVD versus Al Snow and the Taz Candido match. Um, the triple threat title match is also definitely worth watching because it's one of those of it shows the be- it shows the best of all three of these guys and sort of also means that because it's a triple threat you're not seeing the worst of them and when they're having to flag stuff up. So, yeah, well worth watching. I'll give it an eight. An eight? Yep. Wow. Um, yeah, we had a we had a bit of diversity on the uh, on the SummerSlam review. Uh, I'm going to give this a two and a half. 
Um, I, I thought this was a bad show. It's a show with not particularly good wrestling, um, with the odd exception. Um, it was a show that, from a production standpoint, was poor. The Sandman sand angle was bad. Um, the show coming in, some of it they couldn't do a lot about. The show coming in wasn't a great show. Um, and yeah, I, I just think they, they, you could tell they knew they were light. You don't have all of these random appearances on a show if you've got a really watertight show. Um, and they knew they were short. Um, and yeah, like, I, I, I feel like ECW are going to hit the reset button in the next month or so. Uh, a couple of angles will move forward, but I think they'll really pivot away into a, a few different new storylines, which I think is good. Yeah, as I said, as I said throughout the show, a little bit unfortunate um, in that this card, this card with everyone around would have been a main event probably of Raven and Dreamer, a co-main of Funk and Richards, uh, Douglas against Taz as your, your your third from the top, the, the Dudleys against the Eliminators. And yeah, maybe okay. You know, maybe they wouldn't have done Dreamer and and Raven with Lawler around. Maybe they'd have done Raven against somebody else. Maybe they'd have, I don't know. But the card with everyone available looks quite deep. But they they lost like two or three key pieces, and everything kind of just fell apart a bit. Um, you know, Sandman not being around didn't help either. Um, yeah, I'll give this a two and a half out of ten. You know, it amazes me sometimes that. When I talk, not everyone has learned to listen. For example, you, Candido, you just didn't get it through your thick head. I told you and the whole world what was going to happen at Hardcore Heaven. But instead, you come out, you have Rick Rude introduce you. The next ECW World Television Champion, no gimmick needed, Chris Candido. That didn't happen. You see, Candido, I told you I was going to dump you on your head. And I dumped you on your head. I told you I was going to stretch you. And I stretch you. Hey, don't get me wrong. You gave me a hell of a fight. You're a hell of an athlete. Hell of a competitor. And I took your best shot. <laughs> but it just wasn't enough, Chris. It just wasn't enough. And it'll never be enough. Any time you want a shot at this and me, you got it, brother. Because it'll be the same result every time. You getting hooked in my hold and tapping out. And then, when it's all said and done, you hang around the building like some mock. Chasing your little whore around while the doctors are checking your neck. So she can do this thing with Jerry the King Lawler. That's the difference between you and me, Candido. See, I don't hang around, brother. See, I don't work by the hour. I go in a ring, I choke someone out, I get my check, and I hit the road, and I go back home. I do my job. That's how it's done in Brooklyn. You do your work. You get paid and you split. That's blue collar. See, in Florida, I took my check, got in my car, took my wife out to dinner, and went home. Not you, Chris. See, that again, that's the difference. When the people chant my name, I come out when I want to. 
I'm not a puppet like that guy 911 that used to work here. Taz, 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 Taz. No, 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 no. Taz comes out when Taz needs to come out. I don't do what people want me to do. I do what I need to do. Not like you, Candido. No. You'll come out like some, you know, cartoon hero with like this thing on your chest. Like some goof. I'm Chris Candido. I'm Chris Candido. Yeah, well, I'm not. And that's why you ain't got this belt. And that's why you lost. Feuds. That's the other thing. These guys are into these feuds. Candido, you know me. You think I'm Dreamer? You know, Mr. ECW? Everybody loves Tommy Dreamer. That's the difference, Candido. The Sandman, that lush. Stealing some ambulance or fire truck, whatever he did, I heard about it. Ooh, the Sandman came back to the building. Gives a rat's ass. While the Sandman went back to the building... I was catching some Z's to catch my flight to go to the gym in Brooklyn the next day to prepare for my next victim. Candido, you could never beat me. And you never will beat me. And just for the record, next time you or anybody else tries me, It'll be the same result. I am the ECW World Television Champion, and I'm Taz. Beat me if you can. Survive if I let you. Okay, so we are now going into the last parts of TV for the month. And we start week freeze with a match between RVD and Tommy Dreamer. RVD hits a spin kick. Tommy hits a low drop kick and a clothesline to the outside, hits a plancher, and then whips into the railings, and an atomic drop on the railings. He then hits a jumping sign shot. Back into the ring, RVD rolls them up quickly for a two count, hits a spin kick, a low drop kick, and a vaulting somersault press to the outside, whips him into the railings himself, does the atomic drop onto the railings to have him sit there, to do a jumping side kick to a chair. At this point, Fonzie is going full pelt with that fucking whistle. Back into the ring, a chair drop drop kick and a quick corner drop kick. Hits the frog slash for a two. Slam onto the chair but misses the follow-up split-legged moonsault. Tommy hits a quick drop kick with the chair, then puts him into the tree of woe and does a baseball slide with the chair. Goes up and does his own frog splash. Fonzie and Beulah get into the ring as, Fon- as Beulah throws Fonzie into the corner. RVD hits the Van Daminator but misses a follow-up corkscrew leg drop. Tommy DDTs him. Sabu then comes out with a bin. He gets punched by RVD. Tommy grabs the bin but RVD hits a quick spin kick to the bin and gets the free count. After the match, RVD and Sabu beat on Tommy until the triple threat come out and beat down everyone. Chris, was this match better than anything on the pay-per-view? Um, I would still put both the Taz and Chris and RVD Al Snow match over it um, for in-ring work, but it's better than the rest of the show. Fair. Go um, Obviously... At the end of this, the locker room empties, and there's a massive brawl. 
After that, the Dudley's Zoom was left in the ring until Axel and Balls come out with a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire and a chair. The Dudleys uh, do 3Ds on both of them and then out comes New Jack and both the Eliminators for a weapons brawl. Cronus hits a jaw-twisting moonsault. Gertner gets into the ring and gets hit in the head with a chair by New Jack and Cronus hits the 450 on him. We then get a Taz promo where he says that Chris didn't listen to him and said that Rude shouldn't introduce him. Taz then says that he's going to beat and stretch him, calls him a mark for hanging around and chasing after the whore who was there in the ring later for the thing with Lawler, obviously meaning Sonny. He doesn't hang around, he gets paid and he leaves. He does what he needs to and doesn't do feuds. We then get a second confirmation that the ECW next paper will be November to remember. We then get a history of the ECW title, showing every title change. We then get some quick highlights in photo form of the ICP and Sandman getting beat down, Sills from the freeway, Bam Bam Spike, and Tommy versus The King. Week four sees us in Queens, New York, which I initially thought that this building was the Hammerstein Ballroom, as it does, does look a lot like the venue where early Monday Night Raws were taped. Rude comes down and interrupts Joey. The crowd shit on him, giving him you sold out and fuck him up Joey chance. As Joey says Rude could kick his ass, he turned his back on the ECW, and if you want to be friends with a male stripper boy toy, bodyguard, you can. Rude then says, I know now what it feels like to go from the penthouse to the shithouse. And he got laid to do a job. He then introduces Shane and says that he's here for some boy needs protection from a man. There's a massive show your tits chant breaks out towards Francine. Rude says, it doesn't matter if you pay in cash or gash. It all matters as long as you get paid. He also says that he's picked an opponent for Shane for this evening. So we have a world title match where Shane Douglas fits against Al Snow. Shane tries to jump Al as he's getting into the ring, but gets slapped and Al hits an array of clotheslines and then some underhook headbutts, followed with a low drop kick for a two count. Chops, snap mare and an arm bar and a urinogi for a two. Punches until Shane hits a hurricane runner and a drop kick. Clotheslines into the outside. Back into the ring, Al hits a super kick, but misses a second. So Shane hits a quick suplex, pile driver, and then into a front neck snap. We then get a chop battle, and Shane slams him into the corner. Rude then goes for the Rick Rude style grind, then into the camel clutch. Clubs and Francine comes in and slaps Al. Al then drop kicks. Goes to follow outside to follow up Francine, but Shane jumps him, drops him onto the railings and pulls him back to the pads as they have to have matting where they are. He goes to do a power driver, but this is blocked and Al hits a suplex. Back into the ring, Shane hits a quick snap mare and goes for the camel clutch again, Al powering out. Al hits some punches, a super kick and a back kick for a two count. 
a hip toss into the corner, and then Shane blocks this with a ball's kick. Al manages to get a Tiger Driver in for a two count. Shane hits a backslide for a two. Al goes for a clothesline, and then goes for a power bomb, but Shane rolls through for a two count. Al and Shane reverse each other's twos in that traditional backslide and power-up combination. Shane hits the belly-belly for two, an atomic drop. Then Al does a belly-to-belly of his own. Shane then whips Al into the ropes for a second belly-to-belly and gets the free. We see Lance saying that he doesn't want to do Hype Central anymore. We then have a TV title match with Taz versus Pablo Marquez. Taz is going to kill you, Chance, fill the building. We get some chain wrestling to start until Taz hits some cross faces, an Alabama slam, a German Taz flex, Pablo tries to sunset flip and gets a two. We get Taz hitting a massive lariat. We go to the ad break. We come back to see Taz hitting a two a T-bone Tazplex and putting in a Taz mission for the win. We then get a rematch from the week before with Tommy Dreamer versus RVD. RVD starts with a quick pair of corkscrew leg drops, kicks, and Tommy hits a swinging neck breaker and a clothesline over the ropes. Fonzie is already at it, whistling like hell. Tommy grabs a sign from the crowd and smothers RVD with it. A paper sign, not the usual hard sign. He whips him into the railings, hits a running chair shot, but misses. RVD hits a quick pair of forearms, crotches him on the railings for a jumping sidekick to a chair, back into the ring for a backflip leg drop and rolling thunder. Goes up to the frog splash and gets a two. Drops a chair into the ring, but Tommy drop kicks it as he catches it. Tommy then puts him in the tree of woe and hits a drop kick to the chair. His own frog splash. Fonzie comes in with a bull shot. Then in comes Bueller, who punts him in the balls and then slams him into the corner. Tommy then gives him a DVDT. An RVD hits the Van Damanator, the split-legged moonsault, which is blocked with a chair. RVD does a heel trip and then goes up top, where Tommy hits the ropes, making him fall down and do the splits. He kicks the buckle and then hits a top rope DDT for the win. Post-match, Sabu comes out and jumps Tommy, puts him in the camel clutch and they do the rolling thunder leg drop. RVD has Tommy in a reverse surfboard. Sabu comes off the top rope with a chair straight to the face. Bueller's trying to stop them but Fozzie grabs her as Sabu launches the chair again into his face. Sabu and RVD pull out a WWF banner and cover Tommy in it as we finish the month. Yeah, um, nothing groundbreaking, I don't think, on the on the final two shows. Also, we're in that situation where you know, usually when ECW do a a big live event, they'll have you know a couple of weeks of TV covered. Also, in the case of the pay per view, they kind of want people to buy it again, so they're only showing us bits and pieces. Um, you know, I also don't know how much of the TV they're really able to produce in the time between the pay-per-view and the first of the two shows aired. Um, so we did get that slightly awkward situation where it's like, um, 
where it's like, you know, we've got the Dreamer and RVD match and we had to do it again the following week and they were very similar at times. The, the finishing sequence at one point was almost identical. They, they, they just had, uh, they had Dreamer kick out and then they went to the different finish at the end. Um, but Chris, thoughts on any, uh, any of the big moments in the last two TVs? Any what's we got um, at the end? And so I, I enjoyed both of the Dreamer and uh, RVD matches. Obviously, they were pretty similar, um, but it does show that they're both really, really good in the ring. Um, obviously, we have the moment where he brings out the banner and covers him in the WF banner. Obviously, we thought that the the combination between the two was done, but obviously this sort of leads with much more questions than answers. Yeah, which I think is what ECW want at this point. They, they, they want a bit of drama. They want a bit of um, mystery. They're a little bit predictable at times. Um, and yeah, yeah, as I say, we kind of saw it the last time for you, the TV's a bit flat and a bit weird. Um, but they're moving things into the right place now, and I think it's going to be interesting to see where it all goes. The one, the one thing to finish on, really, probably, Chris, is Rick Rude. Um, you know, I've been mystified by his character since he arrived in their presentation of him. Um, but it feels like they've now got him as a heel, which feels like naturally where he should be. Um, and it feels like they've find, just at the time he's kind of leaving, it feels like they've now got something for him to do, even though it kind of makes other oh, the triple threats now kind of got five and a half people in it, if you want to count Sonny as a, a regular second for Chris Candido as well. Mm. Um, obviously, as as of time of recording, we don't know any of the real details of of what is the deal with Rude and the Fed. Um, obviously, his recent change of heart from just being the innuendo laden commentator to basically being an arsehole and seconding the triple threat has has actually been probably the best thing he's done, as you said, since sort of turning up in, in ECW. Obviously, with, with so much uncertainty, we don't really know what what is what's going to be in the future and where we're going to go from here. Um, I'd hope that there'd be a way that you know, he can do both because I can't imagine him doing the house show loop for the Fed. I reckon he'll be there just on Mondays so he could still do the the TV tapings for ECW because obviously ECW do most of their tapings. They'll do a weekend of live shows and that'll be their month's TV. So, you know, we, we can hope that they can do, he can do both. But obviously it is a case of as of yet, there's a lot more questions and answers. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to have Rude around. I don't know how cheap he is. He's much better doing this than he is playing that often quite embarrassing sort of babyface, sort of just embarrassing dick joke uncle that, that seems to just hang around, you know, and do the awful commentary with styles. Um, this is a little bit stronger. Um you know, it, it sort of makes sense and it kind of gives a, a, a group to really dominate ECW. Um, what ECW desperately needs now is a few bankable baby faces. Um, you know, they've got Taz, who's useful, and Taz is the guy you can push up there. Um, 
But I, I just think they need to work on a couple of guys that, you know, in, we talk about Cronus being a tag team act. Like, Cronus really could be in a singles act if they really wanted to push him. He's good enough. Um, you know, maybe he's in the mouthpiece, but you've got him, you've got Taz, and you've got Dreamer. I mean, Dreamer's okay, but Dreamer, for me, if, if ECW have, you know, their sight sets on being a, not a challenger for the big two, but being something, a, a contemporary alternative that, that kind of can match those two unmatchable stats. Dreamer isn't a guy I'd want anywhere near the top of my card. He's just not good enough. Um, so, yeah, I think, Chris, that's probably the one thing they need to do to, to, to sort out in the next month or so. Yeah, obviously, the thing with Dreamer is you look at him and he he is, in in a way, he is the face of the company because he has been there since day one. And he is the embodiment of the little engine that could, that is ECW. But as you say, he's, he's not the guy that you want there to be the, the top face. Looking at who they've got, the, the only person that could be their top face is really Taz. But Taz doesn't fit the face dynamic where he is at the moment. Is is there anyone who's out and about on the free agent market or who would be tempted to leave one of the big two to go and be their, their big face, their big hero? There I, is one. Who do you think? Sid. <laughs> apparently, apparently, apparently they thought about comps. They, they didn't have to contact Sid to get him in for the pay-per-view, um, but he couldn't work it out. Um, you know, I think he's still a bit injured and whatnot, and I think he's dropped a bit of weight. But if there's one guy that could come in and just be this ass-kicking machine in ECW, it could be Sid. It could, but then, you, I, again, is is Sid really the type of person that the ECW fans would get behind as a babyface? I think they might, if you presented him well enough. Like, you, you, All you need to do is bring him in opposite the right guy. If you bring him in and he's opposite, uh, you know, you know, Van Dam or Douglas, like I think if Doug, you're probably not in Pittsburgh. Also, we saw this month Douglas get a great reaction in Pittsburgh. But providing you're in the right setting and you debut him properly, um, Sid could just about, you know, we know ECW is not a big place for work rate. Sid is not a big guy for work rate either. But if ECW want to kind of climb that gap a bit. Sid might not be the worst guy in the world, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's, he's the only guy that's out there, I think. I don't think anyone else fits that bill. Because, you know, he's just one of those who... But having said that, you look at both WCW and WF, neither of them really have shining light baby faces as such. Um, you know, you've got Stone Cold who... Is he babyface? Is he heel? You know, he's over and he's being cheered, but he's not your standard babyface. Um, you've got the NWO who are meant to be the heels, but obviously Nash and Hall are massively over. Are we in that weird sort of point of where we have the strange sort of dynamic of faces and heels? Is it the place for someone like a new Jack? could be their, their, you know, obviously we have the controversy that goes with him, but is there a place to put the rocket behind him? 
man, the promotion that puts New Jack at the top. I mean, yeah, fuck it, why not? Why not? I'd love to see it. Anyway, that'll do that'll do that for this much show. Big thank you to Chris Lacey, as always, our uh, our full water of all things ECW. Chris, thank you very much. You're welcome, Bob. Um, obviously, if people want to hear my musings on WCW from the oldie days, um, you can listen to Super Brawls. We have re- just recorded the Shockmaster episode. Yes, you are now where we started. So, yeah, um, we, we've got all that fun. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's good. WCW, like this is a that run of WCW is actually not like that. The end of '93 is not great. Um, Pre Hogan '94 is isn't all that bad. Um, Pre Hogan '94, in fact, all '94 isn't that bad actually, where WCW is concerned. Um, in the Hogan's when he arrives in big matches, that that next eighteen months is a, a little bit up and down. You have got to get through Battle Bowl though. So, that is true. We do yeah. have another fun one of them. Ups and downs, ups and downs. Chris, anything else you'd like to plug? Yeah, and there's my music podcast, Show and Tell with Tunes, where I basically just play songs that I like. Um, we have 49 episodes up so far. Uh, you can find that on iTunes, search Show and Tell with Tunes, yeah. and follow it on Twitter at STEL with Tunes. Excellent. Uh, yes, the two other volumes were this month, three other shows. Volume number one takes the WWF looking at SummerSlam. Volume number two takes us, volume number two, part one takes the WCW looking at Road Wild. Volume two, part two takes the WCW again looking at the Clash of the Champions. I am finally starting to get some stuff back on the website. It's been a slow couple of months on that front. Um, but a reminder that we're on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you and where possible get early access to shows. People should be getting access to this show the day it goes out, about four or five days early which is, is nice it's, it's been a while on that front all you just want to say thank you for us contributing to your podcast in month you can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 wrs links in the podcast description and on our website website wrestling 20 wrs.com that's about it really uh, i've been bob bamber he's been chris lacy this has been volume number three of the august 1997 edition of the wrestling 20 years ago podcast and until next time goodbye